Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from safeddean.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, safeddean.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeddean.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Standard Podcast Seminar. In today's seminar, I'm going to be discussing the main ideas of my next book, The Fiat Standard. After having worked on this book for the last two years, I finally think it is ready to start being published. And I'm publishing this book differently from the traditional publishing model. I will first going to be sending out individual chapters of this book to subscribers every two weeks before the book is uh, published in physical form. Um, you can subscribe to receive chapters of my next book, The Fiat Standard, by signing up on safeddean.com. And when you sign up, 
You also get chapters from my other book that I'm working on, the Economics Textbook, Principles of Economics, which is also going to be completed around the same time as the Fiat Standard. The two books have approximately 48 chapters between them, which you'll be getting one chapter a week over the coming year. When you sign up, you also get full access to all four of my online courses, Economics 11 and Economics 12, Principles of Economics 1 and 2, also Economics 21, the Bitcoin Standard, the course that is built on, that is uh, um, based on the Bitcoin Standard book, and Economics 31, the, uh, uh, the course that is called Hard Questions on Hard Money. And this is the course that effectively formed the basis for the Fiat Standard. The material that is in that course um, was over time to develop into what I have uh, written now as the Fiat Standard. And um, joining as a member also allows you to uh, join the forum to discuss my books and my courses uh, with others. And all of this is for a flat fee of $100 or $15 per month. And if you would like to join this uh, seminar, if you want to be able to join the live discussion seminar, you can subscribe to that by having one flat fee of uh, $200 for a year or $15 for a month. So go to savingdean.com and check out uh, what is on offer. You can also read the first chapter of the Fiat Standard over there and the first chapter of Principles of Economics, and it'll give you a good idea about what is in the book, and uh, hopefully you will sign up and you will enjoy these. The Fiat Standard is essentially modeled after the Bitcoin Standard, and it is the sequel to the Bitcoin Standard. It continues really where the Bitcoin Standard left off, but um, as opposed to the Bitcoin standard, it's uh, studying the operation of Bitcoin. The fiat standard focuses on the operation of fiat. And really, the book was modeled after the Bitcoin standard in almost, uh, um, almost like a parody. Well, not a parody, but almost like an imitation in that we're... I, you know, I found, I heard from a lot of people that they liked and enjoyed the way in which I explained Bitcoin. And so I just decided why not try and apply that same way. If it can work for Bitcoin, it should be able, it should be, uh, it should work for fiat, for explaining and understanding how fiat came about. And so I looked at fiat from an engineering perspective. Um, try to understand how the network of fiat works and try and understand what the implications of it are. And um, in a sense, you know, I think it's, there's a lot of clarity that can be uh, obtained from studying fiat with a Bitcoin lens because Bitcoin is effectively a more advanced technology the way that I see it. And being a more advanced technology makes it... Um, easier to understand how the uh, more primitive technology works. In other words, if you know how to work a computer, it's easy to explain to you what an abacus is. But if you only know how to work an abacus, it's very hard to explain to you what a computer is. So I think if you've understood how Bitcoin works, you've understood the most important and basic building blocks of what makes uh, something uh, function as a money and as a payment system because Bitcoin has been doing this, it's functioning and it's working. And so um, it can be, uh, you can see what the basic constituents and what the basic um, building blocks of it are. And then applying that lens to fiat, 
allows you to see exactly how fiat works. And so fiat also has a mining process and fiat has a, um, it, it, it has a supply, just like with Bitcoin, but there are different ways of determining the supply. supply. So I looked at fiat as if you were looking at a Bitcoin competitor, as if we were looking at an altcoin. And we were trying to find what are the specs of this altcoin and how do they compare to Bitcoin. And, um, you know, I've been uh, writing this book for about two years now. I've been studying this um, question from that lens for about two years, getting into the underlying technology behind fiat. And I think the insights that you get from it are quite useful when you, th- when, when you look at it this way. So all of that really... Um, makes me think that the book is um, worth reading as a kind of manual for navigating the fiat world and the fiat standard. And uh, even though you as a Bitcoiner, if you're a Bitcoiner, you may have uh, completely upgraded and moved away from the fiat standard, Unfortunately, no matter where you are in the world right now, you are surrounded by people who run on the fiat standard and you need them to survive. And so you need to be navigating the fiat standard. You're going to have to be, hold, um, you're going to have to be um, dealing with the fiat world for quite a while. And so um, this is really uh, my, uh, my attempt to help you navigate and understand uh, <laughs> fiat. If you thought that my book helped you understand uh, and think about Bitcoin, well, then I hope you will enjoy the fiat standard. Um, And I'm going to go through a little bit of an overview of the uh, topics of the book and the main ideas in the book. And so the book begins by um, the first chapter is an introduction. The first chapter is going to be available for free, uh, is, is available for free now. If you go to safeeddean.com, you'll be able to find and uh, read the whole first chapter, which gives a little bit of an introduction to the book. Um, and in, uh, in, 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 in the second chapter, after that, we begin by introducing um, the birth of uh, the fiat standard. And, in the same way that uh, you know, there was the Satoshi Nakamoto announcement of uh, building Bitcoin on the uh, cryptography mailing list, um, I find the equivalent of the uh, fiat standards um, uh, announcement when the um, uh, His Majesty's government in England. Um, essentially told the people of England to stop using gold coins, hand over all their gold coins, uh, pay to the post office in gold, and uh, take payment in checks um, and notes instead of gold, and use notes rather than gold for payment of wages and cash disbursements generally. So I, I dig up this quote, and it's, it's, it's a fascinating. I found this new history of um, how, um, how um, the Bank of England was managing the currency at that time, and it's actually quite interesting and fascinating and um, telling about the development of how uh, fiat works because you see the hallmarks of the development of fiat from the uh, first 
from the first week, effectively, uh, of the announcement of the fiat standard, of the announcement of moving away from gold. And for me, I think this is, was really significant because England, of course, was the uh, operator of the world's uh, reserve currency. And um, it's a big deal when their currency stopped being redeemable in gold and when the people who were using it stopped being able to redeem it. Well, I mean, it wasn't irredeemable. They didn't quite suspend redeemability. That was going, that was still to take some time. So we follow the progress of how we started off from, you know, don't uh, take coins from the post office and pay in coins in the post office and newspapers because of the war. We start off with that, and then we end up with, uh, um, and then we end up with uh, what we have today. And gradually, you know, one step at a time. Um, incidentally, if you are listening to the podcast, you can access the video of me going through the book and the book's draft right now, which is what I'm doing right now on the seminar pages. Um, if, if you're a member on safedean.com, you go to the seminar page and you'll be able to find the video of this uh, of this podcast and you can see the uh, book draft as I scroll through it. Um, so we begin with a little bit of a history on just how it has developed, but the book is not a history book. The history is just provided for context, really. Um, but the... Um, the uh, main analysis fundamentally concerns, um, I'd say, the technical side of uh, the fiat standard, the technical and economic side. So we begin by really examining what I like to call the underlying technology behind fiat. And the underlying technology behind fiat, in my mind, is simply, well, I shouldn't say simply because there's nothing simple about it. Um, but in my mind, if I were to boil it down to its essence, I'd say it's the fact that the fiat standard, in order to operate a payment network, in order to make your country, uh, people in your country able to trade with others around the world, the fiat standard requires you to run this uh, software implementation or hardware implementation, really, where there's a central bank and that central bank has four monopolies. And understanding those four monopolies and what they do with their cash balance is really what explains how fiat works. Because what ends up happening is that everybody's money in the country, or the vast majority of everybody's money, um, about 90%, which is the digital fiat, is uh, placed on the uh, fiat payment network. And then that fiat payment network uh, uh, node is the central bank. And the central bank is um, using that money for, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the money that backs all the um, banks. And it is the money that also settles international trade. And it is the money that is uh, buying government bonds and it is the money that backs the currency. In, in, in most countries, they're using foreign reserves and then they issue their own currency. And it's, um, it's if you think about it this way, like if, if you were looking at a shitcoin and somebody came and told you, all right, we're going to be implementing this thing where we're putting all of the money for everything together in the same pot and trusting these uh, monopolists to manage it 
and we're not going to, uh, you know, the governance protocol is you just basically get to vote once every four years for somebody who may or may not have some kind of influence on appointing this person. But we need to have this common pot that includes everything and we need it all. Um, we need it all basically in the same hands. And effectively, this is really the only way that fiat works operationally. But you can imagine um, the dangers of this. And I think if you start thinking about it this way, that you can see the risks and the failure modes of fiat very vividly. And um, so this, this, this is really how we uh, begin. Um, and so this network of fiat nodes, really there are 200 fiat nodes around the world, but really only one of them is a full node, and that is the U.S. Federal Reserve, because it is the only node that is able to um, validate transactions. It's the only node that can validate transactions ultimately, because all the other nodes, uh, they... You know, they are, um, you could call them SPV nodes, uh, simple payment verification nodes, where they uh, verify payments between um, uh, parties. But the validating node, the Federal Reserve, is the only one that it, it can, can always overrule what any of the SPV nodes and any of their uh, private bank nodes um, will issue. So... The really the, the only node that is sovereign in the fiat system is the U.S. Federal Reserve, and they can basically, essentially, and of course, you know, this is Bitcoin um, fiat is an implementation of um, what I like to call centralized ledger technology. It's really one ledger. There's only one ledger, which is the, with the one node, and that one node decides what ends up happening with all uh, with all transactions. There's always going, uh, <laughs> yeah, scorekeeper technology, as Max is calling it. That's a good way of putting it. Um, uh, so it's basically, um, uh, it, it, it's that one node that runs the payment network and it validates everything and it decides what happens with the supply. That's the underlying technology behind it. And then in the next a chapter, I look at fiat mining and the fiat supply. If you try to try and understand how the fiat supply works, it's, you know, if you, if you think Bitcoin's complicated, like it makes, it makes Bitcoin so simple. Obviously, the supply is the simplest part of Bitcoin, but uh, because it's just a very simple function um, where you can express it mathematically very easily. In the fiat standard, Nobody knows what the supply is for any of the fiat coins at any point in time. Uh, you simply can't uh, know a definitive answer because there's a very uh, ambiguous uh, line between what is a fiat token because ultimately the uh, fiat network's token is debt. I think people have a misconception that fiat is... Um, Fiat is paper money. Most people think that fiat is paper money, but in reality, fiat is a digital implementation of uh, money. The majority of fiat money is digital. It exists only on the um, centralized ledger and all of these distributed ledgers. 
and um, only a small part of it is printed out into pieces of paper, um, and in and it's a growingly smaller and smaller part of it that is declining. And um, the way that the mining process in fiat works is that you mine fiat every time you issue a loan. Anybody who's able to lend money is effectively, anybody who is able to lend money guaranteed by the central bank, guaranteed by the fiat standards um, node, by their local node, is effectively issuing new money. The syllabus for my new online economics course, Principles of Economics, is now available on safedean.com. The course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice-colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. And... That's really what their um, mining process looks like. Anybody issues a loan, new coins come into existence. Anybody pays off a loan, coins go out of existence. And also, anybody defaults on a loan, coins go out of existence. So it's an extremely, extremely complicated and primitive um, way of running it. It's like a, a very, very complicated machine. And, and when you look at modern technology, it just um, it seems far easier and simpler and uh, cleaner um, in, in, in Bitcoin. And the result of this uh, insanity with the money supply is that the money, the money supply in fiat is constantly rising and dropping. And um, it rises and drops in cycles. And that's what creates the credit cycles, really. And if you think about it this way, I think um, beginning from first principles and thinking about fiat from first principles will lead you to an uh, intuitive understanding of the business cycle. Because if you think about, you know, if you know that Bitcoin exists, again, as I was saying earlier, if you know how, if you know how, how a computer works, it's simpler to explain to you what an abacus does, but it's much harder to do it the other way around. If you know how an abacus works, it's hard to um, figure out how a computer works. Now, if you know how the Bitcoin uh, computer works in terms of its supply, you realize, you know, the coins need to be moved around every 10 minutes and the ownership of the coins needs to be moved around. There's no reason for the coins to continue to grow infinitely. And so if you cap the supply, that's fine. But also, you know that there's no 
reason for um, for the supply to be so unstable. Like there's no good reason for the supply to rise and drop and the price of the money can adjust without the quantity having to adjust. And, uh, you know, obviously Bitcoin is volatile now because it's not yet dominant as money, but if it was a dominant money, it would be, um, in, in, it, it would not be volatile. It would move very slightly because it would be so big. But in any case, um, you know, the, the, there's no reason why the money supply should rise and drop. And when you think about it, what, you know, if you start from the sane engineering of having a fixed number of beads in your payment system. And so that anybody knows how many beads they have versus how many beads exist overall. If you start from that same starting point and then move on to the, um, and then move on to, uh, and, and you think, all right, we have a system where we're running with this. And then you try and add an, a scenario where these beads, their supply increases and decreases haphazardly, and then try and imagine what happens. <laughs> I think that's probably a very good way of arriving at the Austrian business cycle theory on your own, because that's basically what the Austrian business cycle theory is, in that it says that it's the manipulation and the um, uh, instability in the money supply and the price of money that causes these uh, that causes people to make erroneous calculations. People think they have more money than they actually have. People think that the value of the money that they have is larger than it actually is. And so they carry out malinvestments and that leads to the um, prices uh, of goods um, rising and then crashing. And then when you get the crash, you know, because the money supply is rising and dropping, the economic cycle is determined by the presence of money and so when you have an inflationary period, you're getting all these crashes. And then, uh, sorry, you're getting this boom. And so uh, money's being created, business is booming, credit is booming. And then when that um, turns around, you get the opposite, which is uh, the whole thing starts falling apart. And so the money supply collapses and the money supply drops. And so it has a system, and so, you know, in that situation, of course, what ends up happening is that the fiat standard operators, the node, the fiat nodes will step in and start creating more fiat to make up for the fiat that's going bankrupt in order to prevent the fiat banks from becoming illiquid. And so this is effectively what's been going on in, 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 in uh, world financial markets for the last uh, 10, 12 years, where central banks are just providing infinite liquidity to prevent the liquidation of financial institutions that are illiquid and effectively you know this is i i i hope to use this part of the book to explain why this is uh, and to illustrate why this is a consequence of the uh, primitive way of running the supply then the next chapter discusses fiat nodes how um basically who gets to operate a node in the fiat standard and it explains the difference between the full node and the um, smaller uh, and the SPV nodes and the banks and what they do and essentially how this has inflect, uh, reflected on global um, uh, development and growth around the world. Um, and then, the, then in chapter six, we discuss fiat balances 
And one unique property of the fiat system, of all the monetary systems that we've seen, you know, we've discussed several in the Bitcoin standard. There's gold and rye stones and silver and seashells. Fiat is unique in that the majority of people holding fiat actually have negative balances in fiat. Um, people generally have a negative balance of fiat. And so the way that this system operates is that everybody runs a negative balance, but effectively they're paying each other from the future. And as a result, everybody is in debt. And a one key concept in the book is essentially, um, uh, you know, in, in the subtitle of the book is the fiat standard is the debt slavery alternative to human civilization is that one side effect of the fiat standard is that everybody ends up being in debt in this world because um, making debt is mining new coins. Making debt is, you know, getting into debt allows somebody to mine new coins. If you buy your house on debt, someone is issuing new fiat. And so they can give you a better deal. You can basically get a better deal if you're able to um, buy your house and mine fiat rather than just buy your house. And that's why nobody buys their house with cash. Everybody takes out loans. And that's why, and, and that I think applies all across um, in, in my mind, this is what creates, um, this is why everybody is in debt. This is why there's so much debt because debt is essentially, it, it has a, a it, it has a mining reward attached to it. Every time you get into debt, there's a mining reward attached to it. And so people always have an incentive to get into more debt. And um, this is how it works operationally. And then the last chapter in the first part of the book is what is fiat good for? So um, now that we've studied how it works operationally, well, what is this thing good for? And the answer is... Um, um, the first one, really, this is, I think, maybe the most uh, the, the most significant um, uh, um, conceptual framework in the book, in my mind, is uh, the most important concept um, around which the analysis of this book takes place is the concept of saleability across space. In the Bitcoin standard, we focused... Uh, on saleability across time in order to illustrate Bitcoin's value proposition. And so I looked at uh, how saleability across time works with different monies and that if a money has a high stock to flow ratio, it becomes uh, hard for people to inflate its supply and therefore it becomes hard for it to lose its value and so it maintains its value better over time. And that's what ended up in my mind, giving Bitcoin, it's um, giving gold its monetary role. Gold is the best for saleability across time because you hold on to gold and 10 years later, there's only very little new gold that has been produced. Your, your share of the gold stockpile has not been diluted uh, a lot at, as, or as much as um, other... Um, other uh, kinds of coins. So um, this is effectively what ends up making uh, gold money. 
and that's what is very interesting about Bitcoin. And that is really what I, uh, what is the underlying driver of Bitcoin's number go up technology. You know, the reason, um, the reason Bitcoin's price uh, shoots up so quickly all the time is, uh, in my mind, it's because it's um, this, it has a high stock to flow ratio, and so it's very hard for people to bring in large amounts of coins in response to this. Um, to, to these uh, increases in uh, in demand, and so that's why the, the price rises. Now, trying to <clears throat> trying to explain fiat, as I was writing the book about fiat, um, I, I was, I, I you know, the more that I thought about it, the more that I realized really fiat does have an equivalent. Uh, important feature in it that makes it so very um, useful and for you know I, I can't just be negative about the thing I have to just admit even for, for you know um, uh, e even though I don't like fiat but I think uh, we all have to admit that um, in reality it solves the saleability problem better than gold across space and so Gold is highly saleable across time, but fiat is highly saleable across space. It's much more saleable across space than gold. So if you want to send gold across the Atlantic, it's really expensive and it's really risky. Um, well, not really risky, but there is a risk that the boat could sink, and if the boat sinks, the gold is gone. So um, it's, it, 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 it's, hard, it's enormously expensive. Whereas with fiat, you know, having one central bank running a world uh, payment system means that any payment can be basically done at the speed of uh, light. But of course, it takes a little bit longer to settle, to, to make final settlement for most payments because they need to check things. But effectively, you know, when you no longer need to move anything physical, you gain a lot of saleability across space. And that's that's really the advantage of the fiat standard. So we may not be fans, but we have to admit that this is a, a cool feature uh, in fiat. This is what makes it work. This is what allows it to work in spite of all the other uh, fatal flaws that it has. Well, I shouldn't be saying fatal because they have, um, it still works. And I think when you think about it this way, <clears throat> You know, as as somebody who believes in gold, you would be likely to think, well, you know, governments shouldn't use their own payment systems without gold, but and that they should build a payment system around gold. Sounds nice as an idea, except that you know, well, um, you can't. Um, force them to and you can't get around them because you can't be setting up physical clearance of gold you can't be traveling every time you want to spend gold you can't physically move gold yourself it's that would be really expensive and you can't um you can't you can't set up uh, clearance mechanisms for gold you can't set up gold banks without having government be on top of you basically it's it's um, that's just the engineering reality of how gold works and so that means that ultimately it's 
it's the payment network that uh, matters in uh, in a modern economy and so because people want to trade across space a lot this is ultimately what gives fiat the advantage that allows it to continue for so long um even though a harder money like gold has been around for 100 years you still can't see a spontaneous uh, free market monetary system built around gold emerge because um, you can't install that kind of fast saleability on gold that kind of saleability across space on gold without government that's the sad reality you're going to need a bank and you're going to need um you know gold vaults and you're not going to need ways of physically moving gold around and that's just very vulnerable to physical attack and that just makes it inevitable that somebody's going to be um taking that over effectively and using it so that's really in my mind why fiat uh, being fair about it and, and and thinking about it as an um you know as a system trying to understand the economics of it you 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 can't help but notice that yes it does have this advantage once you give the entire money supply in the hands of government <laughs> you do get a higher tps uh, you get a higher transaction per second than you would on gold there's there are undeniable efficiency improvements involved so that's really the first thing that fiat is good for the second thing that I think fiat is good for is, of course, financing government. Uh, fiat basically allows governments to, um, um, you know, once they are in charge of the payment network and they are in charge of the giant pot of uh, foreign reserve currencies, um, or or if they issue the reserve currency themselves, then they can always finance themselves by just uh, making more tokens for their own network. So whatever is being sold and bought on their network is theirs, basically, um, because they can just... Their network should write this down. Whatever's being sold and bought on their network is theirs because they can just make more tokens to buy more of this stuff. Uh, and so... Uh, that ends up being more of a uh, uh, curse than a blessing, of course, because uh, that means that government no longer has to work for its money and it doesn't really need the uh, legitimacy and cooperation of its people as much as um, it would in a world in which it had to uh, earn its money from its people, in which the tokens on the payment network are not issued by the government, are not issued by the fiat node. And so that's really the second major advantage of it. And then the third one is that it is uh, good for uh, banks. It's good for governments to be able to, um, it's good for banks because it allows governments to bail them out when there's a problem. But of course that then develops into a huge dependency problem. And um, it, it, it might sound like it's a good in principle that, hey, you know, nobody likes bank failures, right? So wouldn't it be great if the government had a way of preventing bank failures? Obviously it would. But, you know, uh, there are downsides and consequences to the, such things. So that's, um, that's my view on uh, what fiat is good for. The second part of the book looks at all of these um, 
issues of uh, fiat life, what I like to call fiat life, which is what I argue is uh, distorted, a distorted way in which we see reality um, caused by the fact that we use such a uh, monetary system. And in particular, I think, you know, the, the real drawbacks of fiat have been that, okay, it has given us more saleability across space, but it, um, it has taken away saleability across time. And so we sacrifice our ability to move value into the future in order to be able to move it around faster in the present. And so as a result, because of that, effectively fiat is driving a de-civilization process because the process of civilization is inextricably linked to the development of a market and the development of market is inextricably linked and dependent on the development of a medium of exchange, of the development of money that allows for large-scale trade and anonymous trade between people who don't need to have um, strong relationships with one another and it allows for um, uh, and, and it allows for saving you know once you have money once you have a thing that you can use as money you start saving and as time has gone on we've managed to make a harder and harder money we've progressively made our monies harder and harder because just through the process of monetary competition we're always the the, the stronger money is always eating the weaker money and that's allowing us to lower our time preference because it's allowing us to save more into the future and it's allowing us to have a lower and lower time preference for the future. And therefore, it allows us to accumulate more capital, to save more and to invest more. And this is really what, 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 what uh, Hopper calls the process of civilization. It's the process of the lowering of interest rates and the lowering of time preference as people save more, accumulate more, think more about the future and become more civilized, more peaceful. And fiat effectively reverses that because it uh, downgrades our ability to have a store of value that is um, um, stable into the future. And therefore, it makes it uh, harder for us to uh, think about the future. So we start thinking less and less about um, the future versus the present. And then therefore, therefore that... Um, I think reflects uh, terribly on several issues, but also it leads to um, massive distortions. And then th there's the other aspect of distortion, which is all the things that um, governments uh, distort by having this infinite printer. You know, um, if you may remember that interview with Neil Kashkari with his giant eyes bulging, saying we have infinite cash. Um, you know, it's infinite for them, but the price and the cost uh, to the rest of society is um, also infinite. Uh, nothing is free, and so everything has a cost. And so the ability of fiat to just finance government intervention in all kinds of aspects has a massive negative impact. And I'm going to have um, the a few chapters that look into these things on time preference, family, food, education, science, health, fuels, our energy, and finally, <clears throat> excuse me, and finally security. So this is, um, th these are the two part, two, the first two parts of the book on the fiat standard. So the first part is uh, looking at it technically, and then the second part uh, looks at fiat life and the consequences of fiat.
And then the third part of the book is the Bitcoin part of the book. Enter Bitcoin, you know, the hero uh, in uh, the knight in shining armor comes in to save us from all of the uh, previous stuff. And basically, um, you know, before people uh, start mocking, I will take the initiative and make fun of myself and uh, summarize this entire book in a few words for you. Everything I hate is caused by fiat and fixed by Bitcoin is probably <laughs> a decent summary of what this book is. I've just saved you from having to buy it. Um, yes, you can make that joke, um, but also you can also read the book and uh, see if you can uh, see if it doesn't convince you. You may not agree with everything, but you know. Um, hopefully, at least you'll learn something if you read all of these ideas. So, um, the I think the amazing thing about Bitcoin is ultimately it, it it fixes this because it allows us to have gold's spatial uh, uh, saleability across time, gold's high saleability across time, and fiat's high saleability across space. And that's why it is such an enormous deal in my mind. And so really this, is, this book is um, a sequel to the Bitcoin standard because the Bitcoin standard was all about how um, Bitcoin's spatial, uh, sorry, intertemporal saleability makes it the hardest money ever. And that's really amazing. Um, but this one looks at its uh, interspatial saleability, saleability across space, and how the um, and and how the uh, uh, how this framework, this the, this conceptual framework of saleability across space, both helps us understand the emergence of fiat, and also helps us understand the prospects for Bitcoin to succeed or fail, because. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, this is what it comes down to. Bitcoin's saleability across space is what determines whether Bitcoin can survive or not. Bitcoin's saleability across space is what determines whether the network um, is going to be able, whether the network can survive attack, whether the network can survive uh, in terms of its security. This is an enormously important implication. And so if we end up with a world in which, uh, let's say, for whatever reasons, we're only able to have, say, 20 Bitcoin full nodes that uh, uh, have to pay a $1 million transaction to conduct, say, 100 transactions on-chain every day. If through some um, uh, engineering freak, we end up with this being the state of the Bitcoin network, that um, we, that we would have... Um, I'm sorry, I just got a little bit distracted with reading Max's uh, comment, but uh, I'll, I'll get to Max in a bit. But um, I was saying, in 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 in, uh, in in the Bitcoin network, if we're going to, I'm sorry, what was it that I where where was I? I lost my train of thought. You were saying about Bitcoin potentially having 20 uh, fiat oh, yes. nodes yes, yes, uh, yes. nodes around the world. 
Yes, thanks. So yes, if we end up through some freak of um, engineering, we end up with a world in which we only have 20 Bitcoin nodes and uh, 100 on-chain transactions per day. In that kind of world, I think Bitcoin is going to have very low spatial saleability because it's extremely expensive to send the transactions and there's only very limited amount on them. And I think that would make it easy to attack and compromise Bitcoin. So Bitcoin success depends on having a highly resilient network that is distributed and that allows us to make a lot of cheap transactions all over the world through the day. Now, that does not mean, and that's where I get what I get into in the um, ch chapter 17 on scaling, that does not mean that um, you know we need every coffee to be on the blockchain, as one of these sections of chapter 16 says, is entitled, screw your coffee. There's no need for individual consumer transactions to be on chain in order for Bitcoin to have that level of saleability. I think what's going to happen is that the Bitcoin transactions that um, we we need Bitcoin to stay saleable to to stay um, cheap enough for there to be hundreds of thousands of daily settlement transactions that can be conducted across long distances. We don't need to go all the way to recording every single coffee on chain. So. Um, I think there's, you know, uh, there's the um, security aspect uh, of Bitcoin, which requires this amount of high saleability, this amount of low. Um, and when I say low, you know, I don't mean low enough to have uh, coffee transactions, but I mean low enough in order for us to have an enormous global market in Bitcoin transactions every 10 minutes. You know, every 10 minutes there's, thousands of transactions taking place all over the world, sending massive quantities of value all over the world. If we're able to do that and the network remains extremely distributed, then I think it is, it, it can um, offer a, um, it can offer a compelling alternative to fiat and it can grow away from fiat. So the first thing that Bitcoin has going for it is, Obviously, the saleability across time, which I mentioned in the Bitcoin standard, but then here we also get into saleability across space. And I do some comparisons of uh, Bitcoin, gold, and fiat in terms of their saleability across space. But then the other thing that Bitcoin has going for it and why it fixes this so very deeply and profoundly is because Bitcoin is not debt. Bitcoin allows us to run a monetary system which it makes sense, in which balances are positive and balances add up and reconcile and money creation is highly controlled and highly audited and highly precise. And we're using a present good for payment settlement. We're not settling with future promises. And that's really ultimately uh, what fiat does. And I should have mentioned this earlier in the um, when discussing fiat technology, ultimately the reason fiat technology functions is that it substitutes the government's credit for present goods. In other words, instead of settling your trade by having to move a physical good, instead of having to move a physical gold of coin from one bank to the other, you're taking the other bank's word because the other bank is guaranteed by the same central bank that guarantees you. And so effectively we replace government's word or government's uh, um, promises for present goods because 
the promises have much higher uh, saleability across space. So Bitcoin restores that balance where it gives us a thing with high saleability across space, but that's not debt. That's nobody's obligation. And that's why it's such powerful dynamite in my mind. And then I get into the implications of that on banking. I get into the implications on saving and just the problem of how fiat under, and, and that's something discussed earlier, how there's, uh, how it's hard to save under a fiat standard and how Bitcoin fixes this. And then, uh, and then um, in the last two chapters, we discuss, oh, and oh, before that, and then the one before them, we discuss energy markets. I look into Bitcoin energy extensively um, and how that relates to Bitcoin security and how what the effect Bitcoin has on um, global energy markets. And then with that, and I think the energy story is a really enormously important part of the Bitcoin story. With that, we move to the last two chapters on how Bitcoin fixes this or how Bitcoin could fail to fix this. So having laid this groundwork for analyzing Bitcoin and fiat, the last two chapters look at ways in which Bitcoin fixes all of the problems with fiat and then ways in which Bitcoin fails. And um, that's really going to be the um, final chapter of the book as it stands. So currently it's, I think, at around 22 chapters, but might end up with a few more. So what do you guys think? I think screw the coffee is my favorite <laughs> going there. <laughs> that's good. I think yeah. that the animation you created is going to draw people into the book because the ideas are, are going to, either people are interested already, they'll see how you've encapsulated and they're want to go, going to want to go further in or they're going to learn something and be really curious and want to go further in. Yeah. So basically now you can just sign up to my website and um, subscribe to receive one chapter from this book every two weeks or... Um, uh, you can subscribe to um, uh, oh, uh, sorry, not or you subscribe. You'll receive one chapter of this every two weeks, and then you'll also receive uh, every other week. You'll receive a chapter of Principles of Economics, my economics textbook. So you'll be able to get both effectively um, by the end of uh, one year. By the end of one year, you will have received one chapter a week for. Um, both books and then both books will be published around um, the middle of next year I think uh, I'm hoping around the time when these subscriptions are uh, ending so um, if you subscribe to safedean.com now you'll get um, you, you'll get those two books delivered and then you also get uh, access to all of my online courses uh, on safedean.com. I have four courses that I've been teaching on my website for the last year or so. It was um, Principles of Economics, the two courses on which the uh, textbook is based, uh, the Bitcoin Standard, which was based on the Bitcoin Standard, obviously, and then a, a fourth course called Hard Questions on Hard Money, which is based on this book. It's a course that was um, made, uh, I mean, uh, well, based on this book is maybe not accurate. It's more accurate to say that this book is based on that course. And so the earlier uh, bulletins that I had written to my uh, subscribers back in 2018 and 2019 
um, formed the genesis of this book. So over since since then, I've uh, added a lot, and um, this is what has given me, uh, you know, uh, the the current uh, book that I have. So in that course, you'll see um, how my thinking has uh, evolved around these questions over time uh, as I've uh, been uh, discussing it. And so you get all of that, and you join the forum, join the Safedine forum. Um, all of that in one package um, for 100 bucks uh, as a one-time payment, or you can subscribe for $15 a month. Um, that's really, I think, uh, the um, I decided to just put everything into one bundle to make it uh, just far easier for everybody and to just uh, um, make it easy to run and to manage and to just give people access to all of the stuff that I have. So I think it's a pretty good deal because you could uh, get your fill of Bitcoin and Austrian economics um, on four courses and two books and one chapter every week. Um, if if you crave this kind of stuff, you know, I think you'll, uh, you will enjoy this. So uh, do check it out and do uh, sign up. So if you're going to uh, set up a, a booth at the 100K party to sell uh, signed copies to, to those that are turning up? <laughs> <laughs> nah, we'll see. I think, you know, probably, uh, I think um, I'm going to just, after being, I'm going to be done with this book, I'm going to be taking a massive break from doing anything related to work because I have been, um, I've been working so, um, so, so hard on both of those books. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's a weird thing to, to write two books at the same time. But uh, um, inspiration is a fickle mistress and <laughs> you cannot look to her when she shows up. Uh, so you just, uh, you know, my my, my uh, fingers just uh, run straight to the keyboard and they go there. So it's, it's been it's been a pretty intense couple of years with uh, with the work. So I think as soon as the um, as soon as the physical copies are out, I'm not going to be involved with anything. As soon as these emails are out and the books are done and then the physical copies are shipped, I'm going to be taking a long break from doing any work. Well, not long, a few months maybe units. but it'll be a it'll be the first long break that i've had for a long time we're gonna have the 100k party in timothy allen's wood anyway <laughs> yes. um, just well, a quick one i think it's really important that you um talk about the strengths of fear because i can see you know if, if the bitcoin standard did become prevalent that within a few generations we would see governments or people try and um, you know, back to, to go back to fiat for the reasons that, you know, they can increase government spending. You know, they could well use a, a um, you know, a crisis like a war, as in the past, or a coronavirus hysteria to say, look, this is going to be a temporary measure. We need to move to, you know, some kind of fractional reserve system um, to uh, safeguard our economy and keep people healthy or whatever. So talking about that now uh, is important, I think. Yeah, and I think um, it's uh, it's it's really, I think the security of Bitcoin is highly reliant on uh, on thinking of it this way, and I think the survival of Bitcoin really can 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 be well understood if you think about it in that sense. And that's the the final chapters when I analyze Bitcoin's survival. I, I focus on uh, explaining it from this perspective. I think because it's. Um, 
it's it's the advantage that fiat has that allows it to neuter the other advantages of other forms of money, and in particular gold. So yeah, thank you. Anybody else? Just to say that um, I'm more and more looking forward to the chapter on fiat science, particularly given the year that we've had. Are, are you planning on adapting much of that to the recent events with the corona hysteria? Pretty much, yes. I think, um, I mean, th th there's no shortage of uh, things on which you can write about. There's so many examples of um, bad fiat science, and and you can, you you can see the causality in that. You know, there's um, in in scientific institutions, it's it's not uh, the market that rewards uh, research and promotion. It's essentially government financing and government research uh, grants and that effectively means that um, ultimately a, a great way of putting it is in fiat education, you face no consequences for being wrong. You only face consequences for not getting published. And so the incentive is always to um, publish and not to worry about being right. And that's why we have such an enormous amount of academic research being produced and such an enormous amount of people not ever reading any of it. <laughs> and so it's very, 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 very rare that anybody reads academic research and academic journals, and for very, very good reason. Um, and the whole publication system is completely corrupt and silly. And the whole industry is um, um, distorted by government influence. But I think... Um, you know, the, the things that we've seen in the uh, corona hysteria were a very good uh, case study. But I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I have two uh, qualms about it so far. The first one is, um, well, well, I mean, the, the problem with it is that I think um, it might get my book censored. A lot of books have been getting censored just because uh, they even have the words uh, corona in them. So I don't want to have to deal with that headache. So I think what I might be doing is maybe write about something else rather than Corona hysteria and write about um, something, so some other story in science, and there are many, many, many. Um, but I think another thing that I could possibly be doing is um, writing about Corona hysteria fic fictionalized with all names and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with all names and uh, uh, the, uh, I was that thing I haven't watched the movie in so many years but they used to have this thing where they say this uh, this movie has been fictionalized and uh, to, to, to change the characters and to protect people's anonymity or some something like that so I might invent I, I might make it a fiction chapter about an imaginary planet somewhere far away where a strange disease broke out and uh and then I'll have on my website, I'll have a, a cheat code where you can translate uh, <laughs> all of the uh, all of the fake words in the chapter on science. You could go to the chapter on my page and you'll see. So, you know, when I say, um, and then the scientist Zork did this and that, you, you can look up on my website and find out who Zork actually is. 
and you can you know, when, I, when I want to talk about Harvard and I don't want to mention them so I'll, I'll just have a, a fake name for them so if you have any ideas about how to do this how to evade the censors creatively if anybody listening here has lived under uh, the Soviet regimes and knows what uh, people used to do under these conditions please uh, uh, share with me because um, you know um, the I I want to know how to navigate what is called what is what do they call the Google Archipelago. Uh, if you remember the uh, you may have heard about the book the uh, Gulag Archipelago by uh, uh, Sol- Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. Uh, Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a um, there's a, there's a professor who's written a new book called the Google Archipelago about how uh, social media and the internet is becoming uh, this uh, uh, Soviet crime think uh, institution. So, um, yeah, if anybody has experience of how to deal with that, how we could write about um, fiat science and fiat medicine without uh, provoking the uh, commissars at Amazon for climbing down on us, please do let me know. Just looking that book up now. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I met the guy. He was at a he was at a Mises conference where I spoke a couple of years ago. Uh, Michael Rechtenwald. He was an NYU professor, and um, he used to be an English uh, critical uh, theory um, professor, and used to be a Marxist. And uh, uh, then he grew up. And he just uh, decided he's had enough of this stuff. Like, the, 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 yeah, I, I left U.S. academia in 2009, and I, uh, you know, I, I'd followed from afar. Um, but I, it was really up until seeing him and hearing him speak that I just got a glimpse of just how far and how bad things have become in U.S. universities. And uh, he was hounded out of NYU, I think. Um, and now he's writing about it. So he's, he's a quite interesting character, uh, worth looking into. Just on uh, fiat science, um, <clears throat> I'll paraphrase Nietzsche when he said, um, you know, when fighting monsters, make sure you don't become a monster yourself. Do you, do you foresee a problem in the next you know, 10, 15 years when you or I could fund science um, that might not be, um, you know, entirely... Um, Truthful or, or, or you know, fear in in all but name. Uh, no, of course. Of course, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin doesn't fix human nature. The, the the people who will do bad things will still do bad things. But um, uh, the difference is that if you and I decided to start funding bad science with Bitcoin, guess what happens? We run out of Bitcoin. It's a self-correcting problem. We can't keep making Bitcoin to keep funding bad science. The problem with uh, fiat science is that they don't run out of fiat coins. And so they just keep making more fiat coins and there's no corrective mechanism. And so um, there's no market test that um, academic institutions have to face in the fiat standard because they're all... Uh, effectively, or actually, I think the better way of putting it is that they've all failed the market test because they all live off of handouts. I think that's a... Um, yeah, I mean, if your university takes uh, subsidized student loans and if university takes research grants from the government, then it has already failed the market test. 
and um, it's it's just we're just waiting for Bitcoin to come and liquidate all of this fiat junk. And that's why uh, the last section of the book is titled "The Fiat Liquidator," uh, because all of these things that have been liquid that, that have been bankrupt uh, and have been propped up by fiat, uh, you know, they, they lost the market test, but they continue to survive because fiat keeps them alive. And so. Um, Universities can't afford to be wrong for a very long time because of fiat. In a Bitcoin world, they can only afford to be wrong for as long as um, people are willing to willingly lose Satoshis to fund them and willingly lose Bitcoins to fund them. So, um, you know, eventually you're going to run out of Bitcoin. No matter how rich you are, there's only so much uh, bullshit science you can manufacture with your coins. Eventually it dies. And if uh, your coins were what was uh, keeping the science alive, then eventually the coins would die. And the science will die once your coins finish. But fiat fixes this. <laughs> fiat fixes this by allowing uh, the people who finance pseudoscience to continue to finance it because they're always devaluing the labor of the people who are productive. All right. Um, I think this has been, uh, this has been very uh, helpful. Thank you everybody for joining. Um, I will, uh, I will be discussing the Fiat standard obviously more over the coming weeks as we start releasing the chapters. So uh, please remember to sign up on safedean.com and you'll be getting a weekly email with the fiat standard, with the principles of economics, and you will get full access to my four online courses, as well as um, access to the safedean.com forum. So sign up on, and oh, and then there will be a second um, tier where you can sign up to join the seminar as well. Um, and in that case, uh, you, you, you'll be able to come and join these seminar discussions, which are recorded into the podcast. So um, if, uh, yeah, if you want to join these seminars, you can join that other tier. So um, look forward to chatting more with you over the coming few weeks. Thank you, everybody.